thank you for taking the time to talk to us, Mr. Thomas White. You are the Onowa director in Gaza. Uh, you have painted a gruesome picture about the situation and the strip through your post on X earlier today. And you said that you could hear airstrikes coming in while you were in Onowa distribution center in Rafah. Could you please tell us more about that? Well, thanks very much for the opportunity to join you. I mean, the reality is nowhere is safe in Gaza. I mean, there's obviously very heavy fighting uh, in the north of Gaza, Gaza City. There's now a very active fighting in Khan Yunus. And in Rafa, where I am in the, in, the, in the south, where a lot of people are fleeing the fighting in Khan Yunus right now, uh, we continue to have airstrikes uh, in the city. Uh, in the evenings, quite often, there's there's naval gunfire uh, into the into the Rafa area. So being in our distribution centre today and, and hearing the airstrikes uh, coming in, um, unfortunately, it sort of becomes normal. But, you know, I can't but help every time that one, I hear one of these airstrikes that there's a there's a family that are going to be uh, mourning lost loved ones uh, because, you know, most of these uh, airstrikes are hitting houses. And you also uh, said that the uh, society in Gaza is on the brink of a uh, full-blown collapse. Could you please elaborate more on that? This war has taken an enormous toll on Gaza and the people of Gaza. Everybody in Gaza is grieving. Everybody has lost a relative or a friend or colleagues. Uh, some families have lost you know, most of their family uh, in this conflict. So uh, psychologically, it's enormously tough on the people of Gaza. You know, well over a million people are displaced by this conflict. So people have also lost their houses and all of their possessions. Uh, and Gazan families, you know, they invest a lifetime in their houses, these multi-generational houses, which is the, the heart of their families. Uh, so it's devastating for you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people to lose uh, their home. What's happening in places like Raffin right now, Raffin normally has a population of 280,000 people. Um, we anticipate that there's well over 800,000 IDPs now in Rafa. That's internally displaced people in Rafa. So there's enormous pressure on the infrastructure in terms of, you know, the ability to pump water, provide clean drinking water, uh, pump sewerage, remove solid waste from the streets. Literally, the city is overwhelmed with the number of people that it's trying to support. And so for UNRWA, you know, we've turned most of our schools into shelters. Our shelters, you know, have six or 7,000 people in them on average. Um, at best, we'd always planned that if we needed to convert our shelters, uh, it would be 1,500 people. So we are struggling to uh, provide enough sanitation, um, for example, inside these shelters. They're very heavily congested. Lots of people who cannot find a spot in a shelter are now literally camping in the open and building whatever structure they can on whatever bit of open ground, either in the city or on the outskirts of the city. So living conditions are very, very desperate. So there's enormous pressure on the host uh, community of Rafa that has really been overwhelmed with, you know, three times its population uh, and the pressure on public services, water infrastructure, places to shelter. Um, so that the, the situation is exceptionally difficult right now.
Is aid is still coming into Gaza through Rafah crossing? So one of the biggest issues for the humanitarian response in Gaza is we have not been able to get aid in. We have not been able to get enough aid in. Um, there is a very convoluted and complicated process going from Egypt via uh, an Israeli screening site on the Egyptian-Israeli border to then pass back to come into the Rafah crossing. So this, this process and the controls exerted over this process has meant that just not, not enough trucks have, have been coming into Gaza. So we have not been able to bring enough wheat flour in. You know, most families in Gaza are existing on one or two pieces of little Arabic bread per person. Uh, we have not been able to bring in uh, vital uh, water supplies, you know, water pumps, filtration plants. Um, we cannot provide, you know, tents to people who are sleeping in the open. Uh, the hospital system is struggling to cope due to a lack of medication. So the restrictions and this very complicated process of bringing aid into Gaza has just meant that not enough aid is coming in. It's complicated also by the fact that one of the key commodities for Gaza is fuel. It runs bakeries, desalination plants, all of the municipal services, plus all of the uh, the generators and trucks that, and cars that we need to run to support the operation. The fuel supply has been limited by Israel, so that has put an enormous uh, strain on our ability to serve the population as well. You describe Khan Yunis as a dangerous fighting zone. Are there still civilians there? So the words dangerous fighting zone is what the uh, Israeli army is using to describe um, the core of the city of Khan Yunis uh, in its communications to residents of the city, either through text messages or leaflet drops from the air. So the suburbs or the areas to the north and to the east of the city of Khan Yunis, uh, people have been told to leave because there will be military operations. We understand that you know well over 150,000 people have left already. Some people have also left from the core of the city where they've received this message from the Israeli army saying it's a dangerous fighting zone. And indeed it is. People continue to lose their lives in the city of Khan Yunus. You know, the last uh, few nights there have been very heavy airstrikes inside the city uh, and also uh, IDF uh, ground operations into the city uh, fighting uh, militants in the city. Could you tell us about the situation in the north? Do you have an estimation about those who is still there in the north? The, the situation in the north, you know, is very difficult. Uh, for the people who remain up there. We have uh, essentially lost access to the north. Uh, to move to the north with aid convoys, we need to go through an Israeli-controlled uh, or an Israeli-occupied zone. We did get access to the north during the humanitarian pause, uh, which lasted for about seven days, um, and we coordinated to move up and get supplies into the city. A large proportion of the population of that city have left, but there are st still people up there. Um, right now, we're hearing really tragic stories from people, from survivors um, of assaults uh, into two major neighbourhoods, uh, Shajaya and Jabalia, to the north of Gaza City. 
the the hospitals have been there's been forced evacuation of the hospitals in the north so there's no functioning medical care uh, we understand that uh, it's becoming increasingly difficult to pump any water so the situation is really dire up in the north for those people who remained more than 130 onorwa colleagues have been killed and at least 70% uh, of onorwa staff have been displaced how is Onorwa able to carry its mandate amid all of this? Well, the first thing I'd say, you know, it's absolutely tragic that Unrua has lost, you know, 130 staff members. Uh, I dread every morning opening the email that accounts for the staff members who've lost their lives because invariably every day another life is lost uh, from the Unrua uh, family, from our colleagues. Nearly 70% of our staff have lost their homes or they've been displaced. But this really just echoes what's happening across Gaza um, with you know, an unprecedented level of death and destruction uh, in Gaza, combined with the movement of over a million people who've been displaced during the course of the con- conflict. So what our, our staff are experiencing is what the rest of the community is experiencing. What's been really remarkable is that Many of our staff continue to work. Um, We've got a workforce of over 5,000 right now who are working to continue serving the population. They are doctors and nurses in in the health clinics, which we still run. They are drivers and logisticians who are making sure that aid convoys get around Gaza. It's teachers who used to be in the classroom, but are now looking after people seeking shelter in those classrooms. So really quite a remarkable group of people who, despite loss of colleagues and loved ones, loss of their houses, they displaced themselves, many of them living in shelters, continue to work very long hours every day uh, to serve the, the community of Gaza. Honorable Commissioner General Philip Lazzarini said in a letter to the President of the General Assembly that the ability of UNRWA to carry out its mandate in Gaza is at stake. He said, and I'm quoting here, in my 35 years of work in complex emergencies, I would never have expected to write such a letter predicting the killing of my staff and the collapse of the mandate uh, I am expected to fulfill. What's your take on this? The commissioner is expressing a situation in which we are unable to serve the people of Gaza. To give you an example, you know, we have in our shelters, we have, you know, thousands and thousands of people, six, seven, eight thousand people living in a school that normally houses a thousand kids. We have over, well, I think I think the average is 125 people on average using one toilet. People are down to under two litres of drinking water when there's international standards in an emergency at survival rates are three litres. The reality is we, as an agency, have been overwhelmed by this, by the need of the people. People continue to die as a result of uh, strikes on or around uh, the shelters where people are seeking protection under the UN flag. We are essentially starved of the resources that we need um, to provide for people. And so... You know, I sit here as the director in Unrua. You know, our staff know what they need to do with the community, but we just do not have the tools in hand to provide them the assistance they need. And secondly, people should be protected under international humanitarian law. Despite that, 
um, we cannot offer them the protection that should be afforded under the UN flag. Uh, finally, uh, the UN has been uh, calling for a humanitarian ceasefire. Is there anything on the horizon regarding this matter? Well, I think the Secretary General uh, invoking Article 99 uh, and directly representing to the Security Council the gravity of the situation. Um, and the reality is that the only thing that is going to stop the death destruction and displacement uh, that we have seen, this devastating um, level of death, destruction and displacement is a ceasefire. Uh, and so that's, you know, it's very important that the UN call for a ceasefire in Gaza now. And, you know, that's what uh, the Secretary General is doing in taking something like this matter to the Security Council.